Welcome all, it is episode 54 of Honestly Unbalanced, where we have nice, open, deep conversations with people who spent their life trying to make yours better. And that person this week is Chloe Brotheridge, who is a hypnotherapist, mentor and coach at Karma hyphen you.com and the host of the karma you podcast she's also the author of the best-selling anxiety solution and the confidence solution you can get them everywhere you can get books let me tell you a little bit about what we're chatting about with chloe we're talking about many things including how hypnotherapy works and its benefits the link between food and stress processing anxiety through body work how meditation isn't always the answer suffering panic attacks managing pressure and overwhelm cultivating work-life balance, and a whole lot more. Enjoy, guys. But before you do so, a few little treats for you. Let me tell you more. First treat is uh, The Hustlers, all caps. That's T-H-E-H-U-S-L-E-R-S, The Hustlers Code. Give you 55, yeah, 55% of everything at my protein. That includes all of their clothing, uh, the MP clothing that I wear pretty much day to day. It includes all of their nutrition, their protein shakes, and literally everything they have on their website. And they have a hell of a lot on the website. I'm actually using their Clear Way at the moment, which is an absolute game changer. It's a protein shake but it tastes like juice and has a texture of juice. Nothing creamy, nothing heavy. I'm all over it. That's their clear way. Anyway, yeah, Code of Hustlers gives you a ridiculous 55% off at the moment at myprotein.com. Also, we've actually had to update the code for our Lifeform partnership. So the code now is just HUSTLER, all caps, H-U-S-L-E-R, HUSTLER, and that gives you 10% off Lifeform mats. And last, but definitely not least, I want to tell you a little bit about Hydro. So Hydro is far more than just a rowing machine. It's kind of got a massive screen on it and it's just the most incredible workout. It targets the whole body in a single session and they have live on water videos with kind of world-class instructors and also pre-recorded videos as well. And these lessons that you watch on the massive screen, lessons, sessions, are in the most incredible beautiful locations and if you want a discount on hydro the code adam all caps 150 adam 150 gets you 150 dollars off on the hydro website so give it a spin if you want to add rowing at home to your life and i recommend you do so if you have the space right so you've had a potential life-changing investment recently i saw you've bought an alarm clock <laughs> and, it, and, and, yeah. and it's changed yes. things. We've done the same, actually. We've, yeah. uh, we've started to evict phones from bedroom. Tell us about your alarm clock. It's one of these um, daylight ones that light, lights up very slowly in the morning. And I, yeah, I'm a self-confessed phone addict. And I need to be strict with myself and have boundaries in place. Because otherwise, I will, in a moment of absent-mindedness, pick up my phone so so many times during the day go on to instagram before i've even realized what's happening first thing in the morning and so i had to just yeah have some strict rules in place basically to to stop myself so mm -hmm. the alarm clock is part of that putting the phone in a different room um actually using alarm clock to wake up in the morning um as, along with other things that i've had to do to to rein in my my rampant addiction to my phone what basically. do you what do you wear on your wrist do you have a smart watch or do you have a normal watch or nothing 
currently nothing. Currently nothing. I was using um, a Fitbit, but my mum has adopted that now. She she wanted it more than me, <laughs> so I've given that to her. Um, but yeah, I'm trying. I'm in France at the moment. Very rural. There's literally no shops. You have to drive like 20 minutes to get to a shop. Oh, dreamy. And so I'm living a. I'm practicing living a slower life. Yeah. You actually good. you inspired me with that post because you said about um you know one of your ticks was perhaps try leaving your phone at home the whole day and that that terrified me at first. But then Adam said, should we go to the beach on Sunday? And I thought yes, and I'm going to leave my phone at home all day because sometimes you just feel like you need to unplug. And I I don't think we probably even realise the effects that it has on us by just constantly. Um, being on our phones all of the time. So do you feel that it's made a big difference to you implementing those boundaries around your phone? Yeah, I mean, I'm having a lot more time to do other things. I, d- I think we don't realise, well, I didn't realise how much, I mean, it's scary, you can check on your phone how long you spend on your phone mm. on the screen yeah. time thing of an iPhone. And it does actually tell you <laughs> four hours of screen time or something horrific. And it's yeah. that's a bit of a wake up call. But yeah, I'm definitely... I mean, I've, I banned myself from news websites on my phone, Instagram, deleted the Instagram app. And I, I'm hardly on my phone now, apart from when I need to do my Instagramming and I do it in a more intentional way rather than just like picking mm, it up and scrolling yeah, or yeah. going on people's stories. And that intentionality so is, is, I guess, so important, isn't it? There's a guy called Cal Newport uh, who's written a oh, book yeah. called yeah, Digital Minimalism. And, you know, what he advises to some degree is actually completely detoxing, like taking everything off to some degree, having a de- and then gradually introducing things again intentionally. So not saying, you know, don't use social media, but take it off for a little while, unless you need it for work, but take it off for a little while and then work out, okay, well, I'm going to use it again for this reason. Mm. And this is when I'm going to use it. And these are the rules around me using it. And uh, yeah, I like that idea of mm. being intentional with our use. And ev- everything that you do is around anxiety, isn't it? So do you think that being on your phone plays a massive part in inducing anxiety, as it were? I think so. I think, I mean, social media does get blamed for people's anxiety a lot. And I think I think it's not the, the cause of our anxiety. But if we're not really switching off and if we're not engaging with people and nature because we're on our phones or on our devices all the time that's going to have a have a role mm. and I know in, the, in the news recently there was some leaked paper from facebook that talked about the impact of instagram on young people's young girls particularly their mm. mental health and found that it's it's really directly linked to anxiety and depression in, in young girls and facebook hadn't wanted this information to be be public obviously yeah. but it, it was this leaked kind of document and yeah so i think if we can reduce our use of it and, and i mean there are going to be people people tell me that it has a really positive effect on their mental health you know i've mm. had people say you know i don't have a social life apart from online or i get access to support groups for anxiety through facebook mm. through instagram yeah. so it's not, it's not a completely terrible thing but i think we need to get honest with ourselves about whether it is helping us or it is it enriching our lives and yeah for me it wasn't really so i'm trying to yeah really cut back mm. i think it's we all of course we get like little endorphin hits you know someone commenting on our post or you know even commenting on someone else's but that i think is so incomparable to what it's like to actually have a conversation face to face with someone. You, know, you could compare if your friend or acquaintance has some children and they put the photos on and you comment and over the course of a year, comment on all their photos of them and their kid. I, rec- I think personally, there'll be far more connection if you actually just we- didn't comment on any photos and visited that child once in the course of a year. 
there'd be far more, more satisfaction and, yeah mm. i think it can't it can't compare and yeah. i think maybe we fool ourselves thinking actually we're connected with our social media mm. and maybe maybe connection is is not what we're looking for we want something more than connection mm. i don't know it's so easy though isn't it to pick up your phone and to get that little hit it's mm. like a yeah creates a f- feedback loop of um dopamine we get that little reward don't we so it becomes this really addictive thing yeah yeah and that, that becomes a bit self-validation-y doesn't it it's like you need to be getting those likes to feel better about yourself when maybe it's about turning your phone off and you know doing the practices that help you reconnect with with you and loving yourself so you don't need that so much but I think you've hit the nail mm. on the head it's about setting boundaries and, and and doing it intentionally rather than just going through that addictive loop which I I'm yeah I'm just going to confess to it I'm exactly the uh, same so I'm going to yeah implement these things but as you said like anxiety isn't a new thing it wasn't created by social media was it? what are the no. yeah what are the, what, <laughs> although it is more common now but what 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 are the other causes in your experience that induce anxiety in people yeah so there are lots of different factors there might be genetic factors there might be things to do with the programming that we take on board in our lives our trauma our childhoods how sensitive we are to different things that happen in our lives how we interpret things and then things to do with our lifestyle so how much sleep you're getting how much time you spend on your phone um whether you use alcohol drugs caffeine so there's those kind of three things that kind of interplay. And of course, anxiety has always been a thing. Um, people have always experienced fear and it's actually a normal emotion to, to mm. experience anxiety. It's not abnormal. It's not always unhealthy. It can be really useful for us to feel anxious from time to time if we need to have a burst of energy to escape a situation yeah. or even worrying can sometimes give us a kick up the kick up the bum. Stress in the short term can be really helpful. But yeah, I mean, the thing that I see in my, my clients, the people that I work with is pressure, overwhelm, um, and kind of un, undealt with things from the past that, mm. that manifest themselves when we get stressed. So you experienced, you know, a trauma, whether that's a big trauma or a little trauma that we've all experienced, and it hasn't been dealt with. And then you go through a bereavement, you get, you get laid off from your job, you know, a pandemic happens and things all come to the surface and it can create a lot of anxiety so that's what I'm that's what I see a lot and I wonder if we're getting worse at dealing with stuff or addressing stuff as in you know if we have a traumatic event the world is so full of like distraction now Mm. and the need to keep moving maybe the last two years have changed stuff maybe have you noticed that that people have started to deal with things better during lockdown because they have potentially more time to process things well one thing i heard a lot when the first lockdown happened was people were suddenly alone with their thoughts for mm. maybe the first time ever they suddenly didn't have their busy lives where they're going from place to place to different meetings or social events or drinks with friends and they're with themselves and their own thoughts and actually in that quietness and that stillness things can come up to the surface because we haven't got our busy lives kind of suppressing everything or all the so many distractions and things come up so i had heard of a lot of people really struggling with things coming up and i think you're absolutely right i think society is built to distract us or in, invite us to numb ourselves with shopping or tv mm. or food or alcohol and we don't get to really feel our feelings and process things and slow down and so of course all that tension bubbling away that we're kind of pushing down and suppressing you know can create anxiety yeah. So I guess for a lot of your clients, like the, a dream solution would be 
go to rural France for a few weeks and turn off. But of course, that's not <laughs> that's not ideal for most people. Uh, it doesn't really fit. So, what what kind of strategies do you use to try and cope with it? I I think there's there's so many things that we can do, and it's going to be different for everyone. You know, you can say to someone who has a very busy mind, who's very fidgety because they're so anxious to meditate, but that's that might be like the hardest thing in the world for that person to do. Or it mm. might just make them more focused on, mm. oh, my heart's beating. You know, I remember when I was 16 and having panic attacks and my parents who were meditators, my granny's a meditation teacher, they were like, oh, wow. just meditate, you know, <laughs> do this meditation technique. And I was like, it's the most impossible thing for me right now. I'm literally like on the verge of having a panic attack. Mm. I'm trying to meditate. But I'm just focused on my breathing and how my chest feels like it's like caving in on itself. So for me at that time, I just couldn't access that. And I know that there are lots of people who may try to meditate, but actually what I would suggest for those types of people is, is process anxiety through the body. Because anxiety mm. is so, so physical. So many of the symptoms of anxiety are physical. Um, not being able to keep still or stomach issues or sweating, shaking, um, you know, feeling that intense adrenaline or nervousness. And so finding some way to physically process it, whether that's doing some breath work so that you can release and have a good cry, whether that's yoga or whether that's, I'm really a fan of shaking. I mm, like to shake yeah. a lot, like just getting out outside and mm, shaking. And, animal style. Like sh- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like an, yeah. Like an animal that's being hunted, the moment they, they shake it yeah. off. But dogs do it, don't they? I, I did it before the, this podcast. I just said to Adam, I don't know why I've woken up feeling a bit anxious. Maybe this is the perfect timing to be talking to you, but <clears throat> I was just shaking it out before when you, you were going, shake it out, shake it out. <laughs> <laughs> sorry interrupted you that carry on <laughs> no no brilliant no exactly yeah it's what animals do in the wild if you, if you see if a dog hears a loud noise they shake their bodies afterwards if an animal escapes a predator and has like a stressful time of nearly getting eaten then you'll see it shake its body mm. and we as humans just sit you know we have a stressful meeting at work we sit at our laptops all those stress hormones running through our bodies mm. tension accumulating and actually just shaking it off um, can just discharge that tension and get us back to a place where maybe we then can meditate or we can, um, you know, journal or do something else that might might help us. Mm. We're generally quite disconnected from our, our bodies as a society, I think, aren't we? We're just stuck up in our heads the whole time that we, we don't really give it enough credit. Um, don't do enough to move yeah. our bodies. Yeah. And I wonder, yeah, I think. I wonder the difference between... Because a lot of people do fitness, of course, like right? some kind of fitness class, etc., which is which is wonderful, and I think everyone should do that. But often, you know, people that live a very hard, driven life where there is objective success, then go to classes that are very hard and driven where there is objective yeah. success and PBs and sometimes competition. And I wonder if that. I think it's going to be good anyway. But I wonder if there is more need to just move for the sake of moving. And I guess yoga can offer that. Dance can offer that moving without any particular goal i wonder if there was a difference there i've heard from quite a few trainers and and doctors actually that like going to a spin class and you're anxious can actually make you feel worse because it's actually quite stressful so something else yeah finding a different way to move your body that's yeah. that's getting you connected that's getting you out of your head because so many of us are like we're like especially those of us with anxiety we're just in the head thinkers yeah thinkers yeah. worrying in our heads disconnected from our bodies we don't know how we feel 
Mm. We don't know how to process emotions or how to feel things. Um, and, and we just overthink everything. And actually overthinking is another way that we avoid having to feel. It's mm. like, a, you know, I find myself doing this, like, oh, well, I need to figure out this feeling. If I can just think my way out of this <laughs> bad mood mm-hmm. and, and it just turns into, you know, it doesn't actually solve it. Actually, if I just tune into my body and feel, oh, I'm feeling low today. How can I just focus on this feeling? It actually starts to discharge that feeling a lot quicker than me trying to figure it out with my brain. This is the stuff we need to be taught in school, really, from a young age, isn't it? Because we don't get any lessons in emotional intelligence or how to process feelings in the body. And I think the world would be a much happier place if we had those lessons in school rather than maths. Mm, bit, of both, bit of both bit of both <laughs> no get rid of maths hate it <laughs> should we hear a little bit about your your story and your journey and how how you've come to do what you do now because I'm guessing this is all the kind of stuff that you faced in early years um so I'd love to hear well we'd love to hear a little bit about your journey yeah absolutely thank you um yeah so I yeah I grew up in a in a family that was into meditation, they're into healthy living. As I said before, my granny was a meditation teacher. I actually went to a school where we did like asanas at school. Oh, I went to wow. a really hippie school. Oh, that's so cool. Um, and yeah, none of that prevented me from at the age of 15, starting to have panic attacks. I was someone that was always trying to be a good girl. I was always trying to be well-behaved. I wanted to be you know, good at school. I wanted to please my parents and I would worry about things all the time and I think I did just suppress a lot of feelings I think my you know things were a bit stressful at home with my mum's mental health and I think I just suppressed all these feelings and I sometimes think that's what a panic attack is and we've like kept a lid on things for so long that something just has to give one day and I started having panic attacks when I was 15 and basically thought I was going to die and I know this is a very common thing for people who have panic attacks you it's very common for people to go into A&E to think they're having a heart attack. And I thought I was dying at 15 of a heart attack. And yeah, after that point, just didn't feel safe in my body. It's like, I didn't feel, I felt like I could lose control at any time. And, and that lasted for, for a long time. I remember going to school and speaking to the school nurse about panic attacks. And she was like the least helpful person ever. She just <laughs> said, what have you got to panic about? Oh, <laughs> God. Just don't panic. Just don't panic. <laughs> and of course, you know, that was in the, I don't know, t- early 2000s. And I think, well, I'd, I hope school nurses are better at dealing with that these days. I'm sure they are. But anxiety, no one was talking about anxiety or panic attacks when I was 15. Um, and then it took me ages to to get some help. I think I just thought, and I know, again, this is something that a lot of people will experience. I just thought, I'm the only one that really has ever felt like this. You know, this isn't this isn't a thing that, you know, a quarter of the population experience. I'm the only one. No one's going to understand. There's something wrong with me. I'm broken. And there'd be no point in trying to get help because it's impossible for this to change. And of course, that was very wrong. And finally, at 25, I did start to get some help after things just got particularly bad when I got into a, like a serious relationship and think, Often in, in in relationships, things, again, that's another opportunity for things to come up to the surface. And so I finally, yeah, I got some help and that kind of started a, just a kind of mission to sort of understand myself more and understand what, what was going on and, and slowly became less anxious and calmer. And it's it, an ongoing journey. It's an ongoing journey. I don't feel like I'm 
calm all the time. Um, but yeah, I'm in a much better place now and I get to help other people who have experienced the same sort of stuff. Were you on a different career path initially? So now, now of course, you've decided to take that and make it your career. What, what path were you on before that? So I studied nutrition at university mm. and then I worked in the NHS um, as a nutritionist. I did kind of community nutrition, basically like teaching kids how to make smoothies, oh, wow. <laughs> how to cook uh, healthy food and that sort of thing. So I lived in Essex for two years in Colchester um, doing that, which was lovely. But then I think through that, I realised how much people's stuff with food was actually to do with their stress and their mm. trauma and the stuff that was below the surface and because I was getting into this myself um I I trained as a hypnotherapist when I was 26 I think and yeah that just kind of yeah just I think through trying to help people with their diets and realizing there's so much more to this and just telling people what to eat um mm. that kind of and also having my own anxiety and experiencing hypnotherapy for my own anxiety that kind of took me down that path it's so interesting the link between food and how we feel I mean I think it was only maybe seven years ago that I actually realized that you know me eating 10 bars of chocolate every day was the reason for me waking up feeling really horrible about myself in the morning so do you think that maybe your anxiety was ever linked to <clears throat> your diet at all yes yeah I absolutely yeah I, and I didn't realize that in the past in the past I think for me, that disconnection from my body and not really knowing why I was feeling what I was feeling, just, yeah, and I would eat a lot of junk food and uh, sugar and that sort of thing. And for me now, that makes a big difference. Mm. Sugar is a big one. Caffeine, I can't have caffeine anymore. Oh, sadly. really? I was smelling my boyfriend's coffee this morning. <laughs> like, why does the normal <laughs> coffee smell so much better than the decaf? Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I can't have caffeine and that's sad a sad oh, thing sad. but i'm used to it now what do you have in, but, um, what do you have instead to give you the the same kind of hit i'll have cacao mm. on, a, on a special occasion um or i'll have a decaf coffee or just tea or something like that but yeah. um yeah cacao i like a cacao definitely yeah. so, i believe like a lot of people have a vague idea of what food is good potentially and bad maybe not in depth but a rough idea so what are the things you find that make people still perhaps make those very unwise food decisions? You know, I will, I, you know on the tube, sometimes I'll see people you know, drinking a giant can of like monster energy drink, <laughs> a Mars bar, have two packs of biscuits next to them and then the ginsters in their hand as well. And of course, I'm, I'm, I'm aware that there is a, a financial implication is what food you buy. I used to work with young people who are from slightly like, underprivileged backgrounds and the cheapest food for them was chicken and chips. Mm. It was far cheaper than anything else they could access. But beyond that factor and acknowledging that everyone has a rough idea with what must be healthy, what, what do you think makes people still make those decisions? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's complicated. Yeah. I think education has a big, a big um, role to play. Like what foods did you eat growing up? Did your parents yeah. cook for you? Did they, were they getting takeaways? Did they teach you to cook? I think lots of people don't know how to cook and don't, just don't have that education. And what your peers are doing, you know, if, you, if everyone around you is having um, takeaways, then we're more likely to. 
Well, I think as well, it's to do with comfort and and we're very we're quite short term in our thinking mm. as, as humans. We're we want to relieve ourselves from uncomfortable feelings and especially as you know, we're on our phones, we're everything's a quick re- reward. We can get Netflix, whatever program we want, any time of day. We're used to getting things quickly and we're used to relieving our uncomfortable feelings quickly because we use food or we use I don't know, we go on Amazon and buy buy stuff. So maybe we've we've lost an ability to be able to sit with an uncomfortable feeling and and so we'll use food to to overcome that. And I know not everyone will have that, but I think that's that's a common one. Mm. It's finding balance as well, isn't it? Because we can't be holier than thou all the time. It's nice to I mean, we definitely ate all the pizza and had some wine last night, but it's just yeah, like it's just finding the balance, isn't it? Working out what what works for you and what doesn't. Mm. And yeah. that battle between, yeah, short term in the in, yeah. uh, immediate satisfaction and long term health and often mm. we always want to see the short term but on that on that idea of people wanting perhaps uh yeah that short term immediate hit and want everything quick and fast how does that relate to your kind of hypnotherapy i've never had it do people think they're gonna have like one session with you and like paul mckenna they're just yeah. <laughs> you've solved <laughs> you've solved their problem in like one 60 minute session <laughs> Well, well, it's interesting because sometimes it can be, it can be something that works very quickly. It can mm. be something like that. Um, some people are very, very susceptible to hypnotherapy and I have seen people come in and have one session and it's like a flick, a switch has been flicked in their minds mm. and they just are completely different. But usually there are many layers to something and, and over a few sessions we might be working on some different layers of it. Um, but I think, yeah, I think a lot of people, some people are scared of hypnotherapy. They're like, they won't consider it because they think of maybe the Paul McKenna yeah. or the Darren Brown. Take my fingers, you're a chicken, you're a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> some people are scared to look me in the eye because they think I might cancel <laughs> their will. Um, but yeah, I mean, we all want that quick fix. We all want that quick fix, don't we? And the truth is that some some things will give us instant relief but quite often there are layers and it's about consistency and consistently kind of chipping away at something mm. i just have that th- a thought come into my head i think i was watching it with you is it Darren brown where they um he had like a sheet over a man and he told the whole audience to pretend that when he took the sheet off the man no one could see him like they'd, he'd made the man disappear so he got the whole audience to act as if they couldn't see this poor man under the sheet <laughs> i thought i watched that with you and he picked off the sheet and the whole audience have gone <gasps> oh my god where is it and the poor man was like screwing like like, oh my god like really freaking out and i I was thinking that's actually really cruel wait i think waivers waivers have been signed i'm sure scarred him for life (laughs) can you tell us a little bit about um what hypnotherapy is just in case you know the listener isn't quite sure what it is and what i guess what it's informed by as well because it's it's such a blend of kind of psychology and therapy it's it's cbt i don't know it's not cbd cbd BT? Yeah. <laughs> Let <the expert> explain. <laughs> yeah, so it's quite different from CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And it, it originates a couple of hundred years ago. People, they called it um, mesmerism originally. Oh, I like where that. They, mm. Where they mm. mesmerize people. <laughs> and, oh, you should, you and, should um, use that as your name. Like you're a mesmerizer. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm a professional mesmerizer. Um, but actually, if you look at things like yoga nidra, there's similarities there. Going back to things in ancient Egypt, they did things in the sleep temples where, you know, perhaps they were doing similar sorts of things there. And it's essentially about helping someone to get into a deep state. So it feels a bit like being in a daydream where your conscious mind 
quietens down, you get very relaxed and we get this, this mental clarity or stillness. And the idea is that we get into this deep state and actually when we're in that deeper state, the conscious mind is quiet, we're, we're more receptive. So we're more able to take things on board. We're more suggestible. So we're open to, to new ideas, the different ways of thinking about things. And we can also access different parts of ourselves. We can access perhaps memories from the past. We can access our imagination in a powerful way to start to think about maybe how we want to be in the future, changes we want to make. We can really tune into our imaginations there. So it's actually a very natural state of mind. So if you've ever like zoned out in front of the TV, <laughs> it's a very similar state of mind to, to hypnosis. Before you wake up in the morning when you're kind of half asleep, half awake, it's the same similar state of mind, mm. but we're using it in a therapeutic way. So a lot of hypnotherapy will use NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, mm. which actually all NLP is, is they, they looked at all the best therapists throughout history and they took the models and the different techniques from all the best therapists, mm. people like Virginia Satir and Fritz Perls, and they basically use that within NLP and it gets used within the hypnotherapy. So oh. you're in this deep and suggestible receptive state and we use different tools from these different therapists um, to help you to make changes. Sounds really similar or a lot of similarities to what I do, sound healing. Um, I was just thinking yeah. it'd be really cool to do a hypnotherapy session with like the singing bowls in the background for just yeah, extra yeah. vibes. Yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. And does, and this sounds weird, did it ever go wrong? Like, as in, if you're, if someone is in such a highly <laughs> suggestible state, yeah. then you've got to be really careful with your words. Like, I'd be really scared, like, they would do it in a yoga class, I mix up my left and rights. And I'd be scared of like, <laughs> you know, going from like stop smoking to oh yeah, smoke, smoke more, smoke more. And, oh shit, I've said, I've told someone to smoke more. <laughs> I don't know, bad Oopsie. example. But you get the idea, like, do you have to, I guess, are you quite conscious of what you, well, of course you're conscious about what you say, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years. I've never seen anything go really wrong. I'm sure there are things that people have done wrong, but I don't know. I think it doesn't matter if you say the wrong word. It's actually one kind of rule of hypnosis is that we don't absorb anything. We don't take anything on board that we don't agree with. So mm. someone can't make you under hypnosis, like hand over your wallet and give you your credit card. <laughs> and run. <laughs> <laughs> when you see people like Darren Brown doing things on the stage, there is something, they, they vet the people very thoroughly beforehand. So they choose the people that want to be part of the show yeah. that are going to go along with whatever is happening. And it's uh. not to say that person is acting or pretending. But it's like subconsciously they they really want to go along with what the hypnotist yeah. is, is doing so that that person might do things that perhaps they they don't want to do but actually if they really didn't want to do it they wouldn't do it yeah um, that makes sense so so yeah you can't you're not going to take on board it's not going to make you smoke more just because the, the therapist slips on their words <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think about darren brown do you because sometimes i look i'm like is is this for real like, are they just all actors it's just is, yeah, what do you think about it all? Is it legit? <laughs> I think it's real. I think it's complete real. Yeah. And people aren't pretending, but they they vet people. So, for example, one one thing they might do is they um, they might. I'm trying to think. There's a, there's a thing you do like you, you have to do this on video. Mm. <laughs> I, I, no, I can't explain that. There's a thing where you have your fingers out. Yeah. Um, your fingers are kind of clasped, and your fingers are like a couple of inches away. 
And then you do this thing where you imagine you've got a piece of string and you're you're putting it around the fingers. You're putting it around the fingers and the fingers are moving together. And if the person puts their fingers together, that shows that they are suggestible. Oh, really? Because oh. you've, you've had this imaginary string put, by, put around your fingers and it's kind of pushed them together. Mm. Now, most of us will actually do that. Most of us will put our fingers together. It's, the, it's kind of the power of your imagination. Or you imagine you imagine picking up a lemon and like smelling the lemon and then like cutting into the lemon and then like biting into the lemon. And a lot of people might start to like make a face like, oh, it's sour or they might find their mouth starts to water. Yeah. And that's the power of your imagination. That's part of what we're using in hypnotherapy. And so Derma Brown might use something like that to kind of find the people that are most suggestible, to get them on the stage, to get them mm. um, doing all the weird things that he does. It's much like some of those those churches in America, you know, where they cast their hand over them, the people collapse. It kind of goes along with what you're saying. These people want to be cured or healed temporarily. Yeah. And I think Derren Brown in his book, whatever it was called, is it called Happiness Happy? Happiness yeah, or happy. something? Happy. That's like the first chapter of him going and exposing some of these churches and doing what they do. But let's talk about your books. You have three mm. now. Yes, well, actually, technically two. One, Brave New Girl changed its name to The Confidence Solution. Oh, to make it clearer. Oh, I was getting confused. Yeah. Two. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. But three, but, but on your, <laughs> I bet on your bookcase, you've got three. <laughs> <laughs> but tell us about the, pro- the process being writing them and, what, and how that happened. That's quite a step, yeah. isn't it, to, to write two books? Yeah, like um, I got approached by a book agent. We got introduced by a friend and I, yeah, she said, do you want to write a book about anxiety? And I was like, you're going to pay me to write a book. I would pay you to write a <laughs> to let me write a book. Wow. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, I felt quite daunted to write something called the anxiety solution like i've got all the answers to anxiety because actually i know that there isn't necessarily one solution that we've got to we've got to find our own solution and our own path and there's often a lot of different things that will help us along the way and some things will work and some things won't but but yeah through that process i think um you know found that so many people did benefit from from that and have found their own solution to their anxiety so it's been amazing. I feel very lucky to, to get to write books. Do you, uh, I feel like I know the answer to the question, but do you get imposter syndrome ever? <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently anywhere between like 60 and 100% of, of people experience imposter syndrome. So I think that's that's most of us. Yeah. And when when the anxiety solution came out, I I would love to say I was like totally calm and like anxiety free. But on the day that it came out, I was in a complete state. I was highly anxious. Oh. I drank like two jugs of margaritas with me and my boyfriend. We were supposed to go out for a nice meal, but then I was like, no, let's go to like a bar. <laughs> um, because, I mean, I mean, anyone who has a book out will know it's, it's very daunting and quite a scary process to like put all your innermost thoughts and feelings and like the work of like, years of your life out into the world um so yeah so yeah I was definitely had imposter syndrome told myself who am I to write who am I to write something called the anxiety solution like I have all the answers when I'm not when I'm not completely calm all the time but but I think I realized well one thing I I kind of realized is that we don't need to be completely 
perfect. In fact, no one's obviously perfect. We don't need to be perfect to still be able to help people and serve people. Mm. And we don't need to have all the answers because we're never, no one's ever going to have all the answers. In fact, this idea that I came to was like, you don't have to be the definitive expert. You can be a contributor to a field. Mm. You know, I don't need to have all the answers about anxiety. I'm contributing my unique story and experience to this field. And that is valuable. Mm. And that, that helped me a lot from thinking, oh, you know, if I'm, if I have moments of anxiety, am I a fraud? And, and yeah, so that helped me a lot. That's really nice, I guess, because that word expert is thrown around a lot. And I suppose you're saying that you, you can be an expert of your own story and the things that you're offering are so unique and that's going to help a lot of people. Um, I don't know, I'm trying to... I've that yeah, really well, badly, I think, you know, but... for instance, as a different example of that kind of slight counter, like someone could be a boxing expert without being a good boxer. I think the expert to be an expert is one thing, but mm. it doesn't mean if you're an expert of something, you have to completely embody the thing you are an expert of or be the perfect example of that thing that you are an expert of. Mm. It's that, that saying as well, you, you teach what you're, you're learning you yeah. teach about the, the path that you're on. And that can be a massive help in, in, in teaching it because you've been there yourself and it's things you struggle with and it's things that you, you know, you go through yourself. So I think that helps rather than somebody writing a book about anxiety who's never felt anxious, who mm. never, you know, is totally just was born completely zen and never struggles with anything. I think, mm. you know, when you struggle with something, it gives you that unique um, take on it. So mm. that book became a bestseller, didn't it? That first one. It got to the top of Amazon. It got wow. to the top of the, all the books on Amazon. Oh my gosh. Of, of all the books of Amazon? On all the books That's Amazon, incredible. Yeah, it, was in, it was in the Daily Mail. That, <laughs> it was in the wow. Daily Mail three times and that got it to the top of Amazon, Amazing. which was an exciting moment. That deserves yeah. all the margaritas, isn't yeah. it, really? Yeah. Because sometimes people say, like, <laughs> my book's a bestseller on Amazon and actually it's, like, bestseller of some niche category. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, like, really obscure category, but, but bloody how bestseller. Yeah. And then, so that, of course, meant the publishers wanted you to do a second one, like, immediately, I guess. <laughs> and and were you were you up for it or was that just oh my god I'm gonna have to dedicate another few years to that? It's actually much harder writing. I mean, it's second al- album syndrome. I mm. think that people talk about like it's a lot harder writing a second book. Yeah. I think my work got a lot busier after the first book came out, and I had a lot less time and this kind of pressure to come up with a new idea and to and for it to be better than the first book. There's a lot of a lot different pressure. I think when I was writing the first one, I didn't expect anyone would really read it. I think my, I thought my mum and my granny would read it. And, mm-hmm. oh, so there's this kind of expectation that actually, you know, a lot more people are going to read it. So I did, it is it is hard writing a book. I would say mm-hmm. that it's hard. It's a, it's a massive privilege and I, I love it, but it, I don't look forward to it. I'm, I'm trying to write another book at the moment. I've written several proposals and nothing has quite been right. And it's been like a couple of years of trying to get the right idea, but I think I've hit on it now, but I'm not looking forward to the, yeah, uh, so how is your how is your life balance so you still have like private i guess and then you have that mixed with media mixed with writing how do you and then you have an online platform how do you how is your time split yeah so i so i see a few one-to-ones i do a lot more groups now so i have a membership and i have online courses that i run so that takes up a fair bit of time and i do writing for different publications or I'm doing my podcast and um I don't know yeah like managing my the team of people that I work with seems to take up quite a lot of time but yeah I don't know when I was writing the book when I was writing the books I would get up at like six in the morning 
meditate and then write for two hours from like seven till nine. And that was the only way that I could do it. Like if I left it later than that, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't do it. I'm a someone that needs to do stuff first thing. It's mm. like that thing of eat that frog where you have to eat the the biggest, ugliest frog first thing in the morning. <laughs> otherwise, it, you're never going to eat it. I've never heard so this. <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah. eating frog. No, it's 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 a book called um, Eat the Frog. I think it's literally called that, isn't it? Is it Eat yeah, the Frog. No. Progress. Um, oh no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you find it so funny, you weirdo. So, <laughs> eat the frog. You eat know. that frog. Cool, I'll read it. Um, it's good. It's good. Is there an audio so frog? yeah, you've got to eat the biggest, ugliest frog first. Mm. Eat that frog first otherwise you're never going to do it and then once you've eaten that frog anything else that you have to eat is going to be tasty the smaller frog <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh that's funny so what are your personal um tools for conquering you know when those moments of anxiety come up for you do you have like a, a toolbox and you know you know your top three things that you go to or is it is it always just sort of one thing or would you mind sharing what what you do personally yeah, sure. So I do I do TM every day, Transcendental Meditation, which is a mantra yeah. meditation, which is just, I like have to organize my life around doing that basically. That's like my number one priority in the day to do that because it makes such a difference. I'm like, yeah, it makes such a difference to how, how I feel and how calm I am. Yeah. And then I do things like, I find breath work really helpful. I find it so good. I cry like, nearly every time. Um, <laughs> Or I find myself in hysterical laughing. I find like it just triggers that release mm. that just, if there's stuff that's inside that wants to come out, like it, it really helps. And I went for a run this morning, listened to your podcast. Oh. I like to do that. Nothing, nothing too strenuous. I don't like to push it with the running. I'm just doing it for the, for the mental health benefits of like mm. getting out and moving and getting the adrenaline yeah. out of my system. Um, those are the main things I've gone. I've had about a million different therapists over the years, like five different relationship counselors with my partner. Yeah. Um, so there's always, there's always been, yeah, if I need help, you know, I'll, I'll go and have, find a coach or a therapist. Mm. And I've seen so many over the years and I'm sure I will continue to, mm. um, if things ever get tricky again. Mm. Um, yeah, those are the main things. Those are the main things. It's, it's important to reach out for help, isn't it? Do you, cause I think a lot of the people that struggle to, reach out for help tend to be men like yeah. it's particularly kind of middle-aged to older men so i just wondered like do you find that what you offer in some way seems to be mentally more accessible to guys like to guys and seeing a therapist maybe i don't know i just yeah so i might see people guys will come and see me for public speaking anxiety oh. or okay. something like that or they're struggling with their sleep mm. and actually that's a symptom of sometimes something that's deeper that they that they then kind of can start to work through but I suppose there are certain things maybe for a man like like sleeping or um wanting to be more uh successful at their work or they might seek a, a coach and then actually through that process start to to open up and get connected yeah. to their feelings mm. more or open up about talking to, talking about things yeah in terms of your direction so you obviously train you trained in what you do and suddenly now you are you know a writer you make appearances you're yeah, you write articles etc as well did you think this would be the path that when you trained did you think oh i might go in different directions or did, or did you think it's just going to be you know you're going to work with people one-to-one -one and that's going to be it was this always a plan um, 
I'm trying to think now. I'm trying to think. It's 10, 10 years ago. I, yeah, I think at the, in the beginning, I thought I would see clients one-to-one. I, when I was doing the nutrition stuff, I did want to do things like workshops and, and, and events and that sort of thing. And I did a little bit of that within my job. I, I wanted to work for myself. So I, I think I, in my mind, I wanted to do workshops, social anxiety and a massive fear of public speaking was, was holding me back a lot at that time. So it took me a while to, to be able to do that. Um, but it, it kind of evolved quite naturally. I, God, I was, I was thinking about like some of the YouTube videos I did in the beginning. <laughs> I think I hope, I hope I've deleted them now. Um, but um, yeah, it evolved quite naturally. I, I, I found that as soon as I really focused on working with anxiety, because in the beginning I was a hypnotherapist working with weight management or working with helping people stop smoking, any mm-hmm. kind of issue, very, and almost anything you can think of. And then I, I really focused on the anxiety and that's when more opportunities started to come my way to, mm. to speak about things and to write and to write the book and that sort of thing. Mm. And have you had any, uh, not criticism, but when you wrote that book, which was, you know, a quite clear title, did you have, mm. I guess, did you have people saying, oh, you can't write that book or you can't say, you like, as you said, your concerns, did, did that manifest in what people actually said? And I guess, how did you deal with that? Yeah. So the criticisms that I got for it were that it's written for women and that that men felt, some men felt um, kind of not included in that. But there was quite a clear reason for writing it for, for young women. Like at the time, there's so many books about anxiety now, but at the time there weren't any books about anxiety that were written specifically for young women that addressed a lot of the things that young women were experiencing, like things around social media and the pressure about to look a certain way. Um, A lot of the anxiety book, like a lot of anxiety books are written like in the eighties and nineties by like um, older people. (laughs) So I I really, and and a lot of like my clients one-to-one were young women Mm. and obviously my own experience, I really wanted to write something very specific to that. Um, So I did get some criticism, even though lots of men have read it and have said it's been really helpful there's been criticism about that mm. um, would I do it differently in the future I don't know I don't know I think there's a benefit from writing to a very specific type yeah. of person because you can really speak their language mm. and you can it can seem as though like I, I get a lot of people say like you're reading my mind like mm. your story is my story that sort of thing mm. and you don't get that if you write a book for everyone so that's one criticism that I got and that's the thing, so, you, but I don't feel too offended by that you really no. don't need to be everything to everyone. No, you can't like in, be. in a world where you know there was an infinite amount of books, infinite amount of information on social media. Mm. This is the world where you can really be a niche. If you were the only <laughs> like hypnotherapist in the country, then definitely you probably should be a little bit more for everyone. But you're not. <laughs> so I, I think people should be empowered to find their niche, stick with it, and uh, mm. and do their thing. People just love a moan, don't they? It's always going to be complainers. Then <laughs> <laughs> did you? It's funny. Did, so we carry on. Sorry. I was going to say, it's funny. There's always like, an author will tell you this. There's always a certain de- number of Amazon reviews that you get, which are this delivery came late and the book was scuffed <laughs> or like my, I bought this, my boyfriend and like, um, I don't know, just stuff to do with like the delivery or like uh, how the packaging came. It's like, I just, thought Amazon like, changed that. You written that. I feel, I feel <laughs> they've changed it. Well, Cause I remember that I tried to write a review once saying, 
I got the wrong product. Like it's not the same. And they're like, no, you can't. They're basically, you can't write this review. It's not a review. It's a distribution issue. Yeah. It's not a review of the, oh. uh, of the product. Yeah, so I was one of those people. <laughs> You're the one. You're, it's you. But, 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 moaning. but Amazon wouldn't let me do it. <laughs> Should we do some quick fires? Yeah, let's do some little, little, little quick fire questions. Go on, you go first, Adam. So, uh, is there any not a mantra, but is there any quote or poem or any phrase that gets you back on track when things go a little bit awry? I really like, there's a there's a line from a poem by Mary Oliver, called, mm. and the, the poem's called Wild Geese, and it's, let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. And I just mm. come back to that a lot about um, kind of connecting with the body and, and connecting to our kind of, uh, the fact that we're part of nature and can we kind of, yeah, accept ourselves in that way. So mm. I love that. It's really stunning. lovely. She's wonderful, isn't she? She's mm. a treasure. Is she still alive? She died, I think, about a year and a half ago. Aww. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, okay, for anyone that's suffering with, um, that's having panic attacks at the moment, what would you, what would your advice be, you know, as a first step? So I would say you're not going to die from a panic attack. A panic attack can't hurt you. It was really scary, but it's going to pass. And there's some advice from a psychologist called Claire Weeks. He said, float, don't fight. Mm. Don't fight the feelings of anxiety and panic. Float with them. Imagine you're floating in the sea and you're just letting your body go floppy and you're just allowing the salt water to support you and the panicky feeling will subside. But if you fight against it, you strengthen it. Mm. So float, don't fight. Good advice. You've got a pretty busy life, but what would you like to do more of? I guess on a personal level, what would you like to spend more time doing? I would like to spend more time reading books because I read a lot of books for work and a lot of books that I'm reading to for my podcast and I would like to read a novel. Mm. I haven't read, read a novel in ages. Um, I might read a book today, actually. It's, it's very hot and sunny today, so I might sit outside and read a book. What would be your fiction go-to? Probably, like, some kind of... I don't know. I might choose like a best-selling, I don't know, whatever the book that everyone's yeah. reading, like Sal- new Sally Rooney or something. Probably. Oh, yeah. But actually, I, some, someone more informed than me and more, more clever than me had a wonderful quote about this idea that that's how we really learn about empathy and other people's emotions is through reading fiction. Because, of course, yeah. in our daily yeah. life, typically, you know, you're only around so many people and only so many people are really opening up their feelings to you. But you really learn a lot through through fiction mm, that's neil gaiman i think wasn't it? yeah and maybe that? neil gaiman wrote yeah. it oh. and chloe where... we'll become a therapist where can people um find you where do you want to direct people to yeah so my website is karma hyphen you.com and i've got loads of freebies like free downloads and hypnotherapy session people can try my podcast is the karma you podcast and i'm on instagram at chloe brotheridge Amazing. Is there any, are there any particular episodes you would like to direct people to that were particularly awesome lately? A really popular one I did recently was one about high-functioning anxiety. That has got a lot of listens, so mm-hmm. perhaps check that one out. Amazing. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for your time. Thank you. This is really nice to chat to you, Zoe. Thank you. Honestly Unbalanced.